Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. love to dance that little groovy beat <laughs> just i've been listening to it for 11 years and it just still does it for me anyway welcome to marianne live that's where you've just tuned in i'm marianne camarado and joining me again today for the fifth time is one of my favorite people and authors dr eric mizell he's going to be joining us this hour talking about his new book overcoming your difficult family yeah Everybody just turned the volume up. <laughs> They're like running around looking for pens and paper. Oh, yeah. And we've not only got that, we've got some testimonials from your radio show host here. Something really major happened as a result of me reading this book. If you are having challenges in your family, you are in the right place. But let's do what I like to do at the beginning of every program Because one of the things, if you're just joining us for the first time or don't remember this, is our commitment here at Marion Live is to help you cultivate a practice, taking all of that information that often stays up in our thinking mind and actually bringing it down into your embodied experience. So every program at the beginning, we have a couple of practices, and then our guest invites you into a specific area to help you cultivate your resources there. So... We start out with getting here. Seems so simple, but the invitation to fully arrive, it's not often explicit, is it? We just transition from one thing to the next. Oh, the show's on. Oh, here we go. Here we go. So I'm going to invite you to just arrive and bring your awareness to your breath, noticing where your breath is in your body, how it's breathing you right now. Very simple, just noticing if it's in your belly, the rise and fall of your chest, the cool air coming in and out of your nostrils or your mouth or both, and just allowing that one shift in attention to calm your nervous system. It might innervate you, actually. You might be feeling very, very settled, and suddenly you're more energized, whatever the case is, just notice, and then starting to bring your attention to this moment, this place, cultivating presence, because Dr. Eric Mizell has presence with an S to offer, right? When we're present, we can receive, we can really take things in and sort it through our brain, which is works optimally when it's present and calm. So there you go. There's one piece. And that was quick, right? 20 seconds there. Free. Wonderful. Next part of our practice is cultivating a perspective of gratitude. This is sometimes more challenging if we feel overwhelmed. Life has got so much for each of us to deal with, so much on our plates, sometimes overflowing. 
challenges, difficulties, um, many different categories, trying to, to work it all out. Our family difficulties can topple the plate sometimes. So that said, I would invite you to consider the following. Who helped make it possible or what helped make it possible for you to do what you're doing right now or who you're being right now? might be the food in your belly. Sometimes when I'm driving through the coastal valley and I watch all of the workers, the folks who are on co-ops and farms and bent over and picking my food, I, I'm overcome with emotion. You know, just a simple thing like that. How many people touched your food from seed to wherever it is that you bought it or how you received it to cooking it to putting it in your belly so you could live, right? You know, I don't know what it is, the electronic device you're using. Pick something, the clothes you're wearing, who helped you be or do what you're doing or being right now. And see if you can expand into that sense of gratitude and notice how it affects you. I notice I soften and open a little bit. I, the microscope gets pulled out a little wider. Um, so there you go. Those are two pieces of your practice, and we're going to launch very gracefully into a conversation that's going to be chock full of tools here. Dr. Eric Mizell is joining us. Um, for more information about the list of folks who make possible what I do, you can go online to marianlodge.com for more, the oneworldchildrensfund.org, the National Action Organization, and the Open Ticket Bookstore make this show possible. But as we shift from gratitude, I'm going to tell you about how grateful I am that Dr. Mizell is with us today. Dr. Mizell um, is a retired family therapist, an active life coach at this time, and the author of more than 50 books. He has spent, I always get so excited about that, who <laughs> can say that? He's been quoted or featured in a variety of publications, including Martha Stewart Living, Red Book Glamour, Men's Health, the San Francisco Chronicle, and Self. And he lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. So for all of you that are living abroad, listening in, and want to come to San Francisco, um, You'll be walking through the streets going, I know that Eric guy is here somewhere. <laughs> well, he's with us today, which we're delighted because he wants to know if it would kill you to call your mother. You know, you and your sister are speaking again. He wants to know, if, look, if you don't have a picture postcard family where everyone loves one another, roots for one another, and never criticize one another, uh, you're in the right place, he says. Um, so <laughs> we're going to be talking about how to deal with that today, how to attend to and tackle the problematic aspects of families, describing his eight vital skills that are going to help us cope with challenging relationships that he's joining us today. I'm so glad you're here, Eric. Thanks for being here with us. Oh, it's lovely. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, you betcha. So, all right. Did something inspire you to write this book specifically? I know that you've been in practice for so many years and see so many people challenged with family dynamics, but was there anything in particular that led you to write this book? I'm not sure if it was anything in particular. I've been working with creative and performing artists as a creativity coach for 30 years, and whatever gets in the way of their creativity is important to me, and so many times, I would say my typical client is probably a woman of a certain age who has been trying to get her creativity in line for a long time, and so... For that person, a very typical, may sound odd, but a very typical problem is that her husband retires and now he's wandering around the house and getting in the way and 
the time she had to create is no longer her own and she doesn't know how to say no to him and he wants to he wants her to come play golf or whatever just simple family dynamics that actually can derail a creative life so over time i started out as you mentioned as a family therapist to artists and so the most typical configuration of folks i would see would be artist couples which is probably the hardest work in the world as a therapist to have musician and a painter in the room with you or two visual artists because of all of the extra challenges they have of who's going to earn the money and what have you. So I've been working in the area of family dynamics for a very long time, but I think I've come back around to being interested in families because I see how often for individual clients, their family is the challenge. Yeah, beautiful. And I love that you brought up the different configurations of family. When I think of family, I think mom, dad, Johnny and Jane and the dog, right? Like, but there are many configurations of family. You named a couple, the the retired couple or semi-retired person, right? What, what other configurations do we have? Well, I think the couple is the primary one, really. Of course, obviously, lots of people are single, but I think the primary relationship to think about is the couple relationship. And when you remember or recognize that half of all marriages fail, and for second marriages and third marriages, the number is even greater than 50%. So folks don't necessarily learn from their first marriages how to do it any better. If we have a number between 50 and 75% of all marriages failing, that just goes to show how much tension there must be in every marriage and therefore in every household. Add kids and you have added tensions. But even without the kids, just two human beings trying to get along together Nothing very easy about that, and we have a kind of smiley-faced picture of how relationships ought to go, romantic love, and the ease of things and what have you, but it really is not easy for any two human beings to get along. Yeah, and then let's add the blended family, the extended family, the half-brothers and sisters, the nieces and nephews. I mean, this is quite a constellation. So when you're talking about family, there's a lot to consider here. But we've got the nucleus, generally two people in the center of, I think the individual's family starts with their significant other, but not always. That's right. The, the the most crucial dynamics might be with a child or it might be with a parent and not with your mate necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have an epidemic of childhood mental disorder labeling. So there are millions and millions of families dealing with a child who is acquiring one of these new labels, whether it's attention deficit disorder or oppositional defiant disorder or what have you. So for the parents in that configuration, it may be their relationship to the child that's most problematic or producing the most tension. Mm -hmm. Then we have an aging population. We have all of these sort of middle generation adults who are not only dealing with their own children who are either still at home or boomeranging back to home, but they also have their getting ill adults, adult parents. That's often very, very difficult because not only are are they aging, but they're still the same people they always were who criticized you and didn't like you and yeah. all of that. So now you're supposed to take care of them when, in fact, you never much liked them, mm-hmm. etc. So there's a lot going on in family. Yeah. So before we came on the air, we were talking a little bit about why this is so difficult. And one of the things you said really struck me. You know, we live in this 
this individuated culture. In other words, we've we've really revered the um, the uh, uh, independent self, right? And even these sort of insular family units. But the truth is, you said we're suffering from individual pathologizing as a sort of an epidemic or or a way sort of a lens in which we see most of our problems let's talk about that a little bit because it's really salient to what you're going to share with us yeah it's a big deal problem there are two predominant paradigms with respect to mental disorder or mental wellness one is the i would call it pseudo medical model because it's not a real medical model but it's the psychiatric model of mental disorders where supposedly you have a mental disorder if you display a certain number of symptoms. It sort of looks like medicine, but it isn't actually. There would be a lot we could say about that. And then the second predominant paradigm is that these aren't biological medical issues, but that they're psychological issues and that psychotherapy rather than drugs is the treatment of choice if it's a psychological issue. But most, most, most of what goes on, and both models presume that the individual has the problem, and in a way has come down with the problem, almost like caught some mental flu, mm -hmm. that you would be happy except that you caught depression, mm -hmm. or that you would be calm except that you caught anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it's just not a true model. Mm -hmm. It's not a true model on, on many levels. If you're going, if you're a kid going to school and you're bullied every day, why would you not be sad or anxious or scared or any other words we could use? How could that be an individual problem as opposed to a contextual or circumstantial problem? Right. We could name a million kinds of circumstances that must affect our individual mental health. Yeah. Family therapy is kind of the only branch. There's also a branch of therapy called social therapy. It's much less well-known, but family therapy is the only branch of therapy that takes into account that you have a family and that you have relationships. It's really very rare for an individual therapist, certainly an individual psychiatrist, to pay any attention to what might be going on in your family life, and that's just a mistake. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things, and thank you for that. That context is so... It's such a relief. <laughs> I can feel it in my body because you walk around thinking, I did this, they did that to me, only, you know, these sort of these individual kinds of experiences. And when you realize that you're part of a constellation, a bigger construct here, we can sort of rest into that. The question then lies, well, then what? What do I do now that we all know that I'm not the only one in this? You know, the, the challenge is now... Uh, clear, your book helps us navigate that territory of we, doesn't it? Well, I hope it does. Um, the basic idea of the book is to provide a certain kind of toolkit of eight skills, and most people are not going to really work on eight skills. It's too taxing. The idea behind family therapy is that if you work, on, work with any individual in a family, that helps the whole family system. The idea of this book is similar. If you were to acquire any of these eight skills, work on any one, that would, in my language, upgrade your personality and make you, make you a, a better candidate for negotiating your own family life. So that, for me, is really the key. We can't control others. We can barely influence others. The job is to upgrade ourselves and to, and to be, to, to use the language of the book, 
to be smart about what's going on, to manifest our strength, to become calmer, to become clearer. In other words, just to get a better picture of what's going on in our family and then figuring out what's our best strategy. It's not going to be a one-size-fits-all strategy. Mm -hmm. For one person, you're going to want to walk away from your family. For another person, you're going to want to try to intervene in your family and make things better. It's going to be different person-to-person and situation-to-situation. Well, when I was reading through the book, um, the first chapter that struck me um, as sort of an aha, a re-reminder of, oh, right, it was a chapter on being clear. It's chapter four, and we were talking about this a little bit. So often, and this sort of falls in line with the individual, um, you know, pathologizing, so often when we when we are feeling something's wrong within a family dynamic or a relationship we're having, or, or maybe that's not even clear. We just feel sad. That's right. Um, the catch-all is, oh, you're depressed. We all of a sudden think that something's wrong with you, and it's psychological or medical or a psychological personality disorder or some, some version of that. What I loved about this chapter is that it really stresses, emphasizes that we need to really take a look at what's actually going on here. We oftentimes are sort of misreading the situation until we drop deeper. Let's talk about this. Yeah, there's that, and then there's the clarity around just being clear about what we want to do about what we've noticed. So there are both kinds of clarity. One is seeing what's going on, which, you know, I think, I always think of it as an act of courage to see what's going on because we're tricky creatures and we kind of want to keep the truth from ourselves because the truth might not be so pretty. So I I do think it's an act of courage to be clear. So there's that bit of clarity. And then there's the notion of being clear about what you want to do once you've noticed something. Just to give you a simple example, I had a client who simply didn't like that her husband was always late to things. But she wasn't aware to what extent that upset her. It seems in some sense like a small thing, but we know that in couple dynamics and family dynamics, these are the kinds of resentments that really color a day and matter. So first she had to be, she had to really notice that this was disturbing her as opposed to kind of half noticing it. Then she, then she needs clarity around what do you do then? And the clarity there is to say to her husband, this isn't okay. Mm-hmm. Not a deal breaker, but it's not okay that you continually come late to things. Mm-hmm. So there's the two parts to clarity. One is, oh, this is what's going on. Yeah. And the second is, this is what I believe I need to do about it. <laughs> yeah, because so often we just open the mouth, insert foot. <laughs> right? We just, we're so reactive. And, you know, the first few chapters invite us to stop, drop in, be aware, be clear, be calm, and then identify what's actually going on before we can choose some action to take. But, you know, this is a big order to fill, isn't it? Because often these things happen so fast and beneath our awareness. That's right, and that's why I've included, um, I think in probably every chapter, but in most chapters, things I call ceremonies. And the idea of ceremony is that it separates out a period of time from the rest of the day. I think that's the big deal idea around the ceremony. There are the big ceremonies in life like weddings and births and all of those, anniversaries. But then there are the daily ceremonies that we can enact 
that allow us to get a little space from our life, make a little distance. And once we've made that space and that distance, then that gives us the opportunity to think about what's going on and to think about what we want to do about it. And just one that I like, I'll just mention one ceremony, I think it connects to what we're saying, and that's get a snow globe. I like the I like the image of shaking up a snow globe and watching it settle. I think we feel shaken up like that a lot of the day, but as we watch the as we watch the snow settle, we ourselves can settle. Mm-hmm. And I think in that settling, once we settle, then we have the opportunity to figure out where we want to come from in our next yeah. action. Yeah. So I, I believe in these simple tactics of something like having a snow globe and shaking it and watching it settle and feeling yourself settle as you're watching it, rather than very complicated remedies to things. Yeah. I, I think we can only do simple things, pretty much. I love it. And the ceremonies throughout the book, uh, the one on being strong, all of them were just beautiful for me. Um, but before we move on, I, I wanted to pause here and talk a little bit about um, the sense of um, anxiety, stress, sort of the way that you characterize, I can't remember what chapter it's in, but you say that we're sort of designed to be looking for, um, you know, as a survival tactic, our mind is very active and vigilant and, and constantly sorting for when we might be in danger and some sort of trouble. You add that to trauma as a child or just nature, you know, that, that's very a lot going on up in the mind. So, yeah, yeah speak to this because it's sure. so important. Um, again, we have the idea that anxiety um, is somehow a problem just by itself, but anxiety is no particular problem. It's part of our early warning system against danger. So what we need to do is to learn how to manage anxiety. Got it. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about that and other tools that are going to help you overcome your difficult family. Please tune back in with us. Join us more with Dr. Eric Mizell right here on Marianne Live. We'll be right back right after these messages. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've We've ordered ordered No More More Love Love Life Life Drama Drama for us. Us. Hi, everybody. I'm relationship expert and radio talk show host Marianne Camarado. And I'm David Raynaud. We want to talk to you for a minute about the changing world of dating and relationships and how self-inquiry can help. Honey, did you know that 44% of the U.S. population is single and over 50% end in divorce yet? We spend an average of one-third of our lives trying to find a great relationship or get help with the ones we already have. Yep, that's exactly why we created the first ever of its kind, the Great Relationships Begin Within Self-Inquiry Divination Deck, because we know what it takes to attract and create a healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationship. And it's really simple. 
Sit quietly, close your eyes, turn your attention inward, and draw a card. You can go online right now and get a free reading on Marianne Lide and try out the cards. And for under $20, what better way to give yourself a gift of your own attention? We wish you every blessing. We'll see you next time. Check out MarianneLive.com. .com. Okay, so you have a couple of days off and you're planning to get away from stress. You may be planning to go across the world or even taking a staycation around town. Well, Hotels.com can get you a room in over 158,000 hotels, 60 countries for 50% off. That's reducing stress already. Plus, collect 10 nights and you'll get one night free. And there's no cancellation charges, no change fees. For the best deals, even last-minute deals, visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Hotels.com. Music, information, and friends. HealthyLife.net. Now, that's right. We're talking about overcoming your difficult family. Uh, Joining us is Dr. Eric Mizell. Eric, before the break, you were telling us a little bit about anxiety and how the brain is wired. Yeah, I think where I wanted to go with that is to provide some quick anxiety management strategies because, to repeat, the goal in life is not to never be anxious. And if we were never anxious, we wouldn't be alert enough to maybe not go in that elevator with those dangerous folks or whatever. We, we, we need that ability to notice that the danger is around us. So the goal is not to eliminate anxiety to know how to reduce it and how to manage it. So you mentioned at the very beginning of the outset deep breathing. That's still the number one thousands of year old way to deal with anxiety. Five seconds on the inhale, five seconds on the exhale. Second kind of strategy is a cognitive strategy, namely to not be saying things to yourself that make you more anxious. To not be saying things like, for my creative folks, I'm not talented or there's too much competition or it's too late or I'll never make it or all those kinds of thoughts that don't really serve you. Some of them may even be true, for instance, that there's lots of competition, but a true thought doesn't serve you unless it serves you. So it's very important to be thinking thoughts that serve you. That's a high bar place in life to be only thinking thoughts that serve you, but it's a place to get to. A third strategy is to marry those two, is to drop a good thought into a deep breath. I did a book on this called Ten Zen Seconds, and the, the ten of that title is... A, Five seconds on the inhale, five seconds on the exhale. It's a deep breath. It's dropping a thought into a deep breath. And one that I like is, and you were talking about racing and presence and rushing and all of that at the beginning. One that I like is I'm completely on the inhale, stopping on the exhale. Completely stopping. Stopping this rush, stopping this racing. So you can marry any three or four, only about three or four or five words fit into a deep breath. But you can create your own calmness charm by finding some phrase that you like that you can drop into a deep breath. Mm. Relaxation techniques, just rubbing your shoulder reduces our experience of anxiety. There's There's an idea called disidentification that's very much like detachment in Buddhism, and it's the idea that I'm not this painting I'm working on, I'm not this project that's failing, I'm not this, I am bigger than, separate than, different from any thought I'm having, any feeling I'm having, anything I'm doing. And therefore, the thing in front of us may not be working, but I don't have to be ashamed about me or guilty about anything. And that reduces our experience of anxiety to remember that the things we're working on are just the things we're working on, etc. 
So there are probably about 20 categories of anxiety management techniques. I did a book on this called Mastering Creative Anxiety. I just want to share the last one of these 20, and that's the visualization of a switch inside of you where when you flip it, you just become a calmer person. It's the idea of talking yourself into the belief that just from one moment to the next, you're going to stop creating internal dramas, stop the histrionics, stop this, stop that. That's your decision to become a calmer person. The main point is that there are lots of things to try to reduce one's experience of anxiety. And if you've grown up in, an, in a family that where lots of folks are anxious and where sort of the style is to make everybody anxious, then you really need some anxiety management technique that not only works for you, but that's portable. You may have a great meditation practice in the morning, but that doesn't necessarily work for you, you know, when you have some um, something going on during the day. So you want some anxiety management strategy you can actually take with you through the day and reduce your anxiety when the anxiety arises. Right. I want to thank you for those. I actually almost started drooling. I felt so calm. <laughs> it's true because it works. So here's the other thing. You notice when I'm with Dr. Mizell, my uh, nervous system calms. I feel calm and grounded. Our intersubjective field is producing more calmness. Now, you get me with some other folks particularly somebody from my family, somebody who's not practicing these skills, I fall asleep and bada-bing, there we go, we've got an inflamed situation or a difficult situation, Mm -hmm. right? So this is the part that we're going to talk about next. We can manage ourselves, but the introduction of other, even when they're not present, they could be spinning around in your, you know, in your own mind, which... Thank you, Eric. You helped us sort of sort out. We have control over what we think about. But when we are in the presence of other, how do we access some of those skills? So we're going to break up the different dynamic family situations, the types of family dynamic challenges you might be having. And then, uh, Eric, you're going to offer some skills for us, correct? Absolutely. Okay. So um, one of the first family dynamics that I ran across when I was reading the book that actually um, spoke to me personally with Chapter 11, Warring and Divided Families. I was sharing with you, and I, it's probably worth repeating if that's okay. I, um, yes. I was having a situation in my family for the last five years where there's two family members, actually more, but there's one scenario where somebody in my immediate family um, was not speaking to another member, and it actually has really divided us through the holidays, through travel, through all kinds of things. And after reading your book, I woke up this morning, and it just a little flash said, I'm going to be brave, I'm going to follow my heart, I'm going to say what I need. And as it turned out, there is a scenario coming up now where these two people are actually willing. It makes me misty. Uh, they're willing to talk. So how did I get there? I used the skills in this book, uh, point blank. But let's talk about these divided and warring families and some specific ways folks can maybe cross those bridges for themselves or, or create the bridges. Yeah, well, the first thing is that um, safety comes first. In warring families and divided families, um, you can get harmed in the crossfire. So sometimes the best 
um, thing to do is to get out of the way and, and keep yourself safe. That comes first. But then after that, if you feel safe enough, then I think the sort of thing that you just described is what I call in the book inviting a truth. And that's just being, being the person, being the grown-up in the room, being the adult, who gathers together whoever, whatever the warring parties are, whether it's two people or the whole family, and just tries to get quiet, just the way we're doing, tries to make herself be okay first and get quiet, and then muster the courage to say, can we have a truce? I, I don't know who's exactly right or wrong. I, I of course, have my opinions about who's right or who, who's wrong. But for the sake of this truce, let's let's try to let go of who's right and who's wrong and try to start fresh from, to use simple language, a kinder and more compassionate place. Somebody has to use this language. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to be there calmly to say, let's try again, let's try to be our best selves, let's, let's try to be a little hopeful and a little helpful and a little better than we were yesterday, and let's just try. No guarantees, can't be a guarantee. Nothing, it can't possibly be a guarantee that comes with this effort. You're just trying. For but sure. It, but it clearly, it's, it's, it's something worth trying. Again, safety first. Right. It, you, know, you don't want to be in danger, but if, if safety isn't an issue, then this is worth trying. Yeah, and I'm going to point out for me, I have made several attempts. My physical danger wasn't at risk, but there emotionally in the beginning it was quite tentative um, and and even more. Um, I felt injured emotionally by making an attempt and being sort of shut down and so forth. So this has been a repeated call for me, and then finally uh, I felt the, the, the need to try again and this time lo and behold it works so this isn't like a one-shot miracle here right this is a process Eric correct right that's why there are eight skills and that's why one of them is resilience because it's unlikely that something we try the first time will work it would be lovely if it did but it's actually unlikely because we're talking about long entrenched habits and personality pieces that are that are a part of personality that are ingrained so Practicing resilience for ourselves allows us to come back to some of these issues, whether it's with an adult child or whether it's with one of our parents or whether it's with a sibling. We don't, we don't really want to give up on these people. And exactly. Sometimes we do want to give up on these people, but basically we don't want to give up on these people. That's right. So we have to keep trying. When we get back after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about that safety feature. Uh, the families that uh, are bullying, aggressive, and uh, abusive, how to deal with that type of family situation when we return right here on Marianne Live. More with Dr. Eric Mizell. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. 
proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've We've ordered ordered No No More More Love Love Life Drama Drama for us. Shh, over here. Here's a secret for a virus-free computer. ESET. They've been a pioneer in the antivirus industry for over 25 years. 25 years of innovative, top-rated antivirus protection. ESET's award-winning security solutions provide a safe online experience for over 100 million home and business computer owners. They are so affordable, fast, and simple to use. So be gone, you blue screen of death. ESET's on my computer. If it's not on yours, visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on ESET now. Did you know that in seven minutes you might save $522 on car insurance? Well, this makes sense. Since 21st Century Insurance's company's website has been rated number one in responsiveness by Keynote. Serving customers since 1958, 21st Century Insurance has a 24-7 online policy and claim service. You can get a quote fast and easy, so get your quote by visiting HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click right on the 21st Century Insurance banner. More exhilarating talk. HealthyLife.net Oh, I can feel the relief already. I've seriously had a breakthrough uh, after reading Dr. Mizell's book. Uh, If you're just joining us, uh, we are with Dr. Eric Mizell. Overcoming Your Difficult Family is the title of his new book, uh, he's written 50 books. For those of you who are, who are creative folks and are challenged by that, he spent 30 years working with creative uh, challenges that, that folks have in the, the, the realm of creativity. Today we're talking about uh, family dynamics and how to deal with yours. Before the break, Eric, we were talking about the uh, potential of dealing with bullies or aggressive family members, abusive families, and so forth. Let's talk about that. Well, I think the first headline is to not ignore the bullying, to not ignore the aggression. Um, It's kind of hard sometimes for a child to really take in what's going on and may think it's what what a normal family looks like is to be, so to speak, pushed around or literally pushed around. I think the first thing is to not ignore what's going on. Not only doesn't it feel good, but it just isn't, isn't right. The next point is that it's important to find allies because sometimes we can't deal with the bullying ourselves. The person who's bullying us by virtue of being a bully may be the bigger personality, the bigger person, the more powerful person in the relationship, etc. And sometimes the allies may not be in our immediate family. It might be a cousin a little bit out of the loop or a grandparent or a teacher or somebody else outside of the immediate loop. So having somebody, and of course, if it could, it could be a therapist type also, we need someone to talk to about this, but we need somebody to be aligned, to be on our side, and to, I think, reflect the fact that something real is going on so we don't think we're kind of making something up mm-hmm. about this bullying. Mm-hmm. And then I think another point is just the question as to whether the bullying is, is situational. I mean, let's say it's two brothers you know, do you get bullied by your brother only when he loses a hockey game or only this or only that? Is something going on in the other person's life or in the family situation that seems to what would be called in recovery work trigger the situation? Mm-hmm. 
if you can recognize that, well, then you know not to be home after a hockey game. You know, let let your brother cool off after he's lost and, and don't show up till after dinner or something. That's part of the idea of these skills of being smart and having clarity, having awareness, understanding what's going on. It can't be a complete answer to bullying to just understand the situation, but that's a first step in understanding. And if the bullying is situational, then maybe there's something you can do to avoid the situation. Mm-hmm. And safety first there, uh, again, is the Safety first, of course. The rule. So you, you've really got a, a half a dozen chapters here more uh, that address the different kinds, uh, that characterize the different kinds of difficult families. So, folks, if you're tuning in, trust me, uh, we've got compulsive and addicted families, uh, acquisitive and materialistic families. We're just skimming because for the sake of time, uh, we can't get into all of them. But whatever your family dynamic that's difficult, um, Dr. Mizell has very likely addressed this in his book. Let's talk now about one of those lesser-known kind of family dynamics uh, you and I were talking about during the break, the frustrated, hopeless, and defeated family um, challenge. Let, let's talk a little bit more about this. Cause yeah. This is something you don't hear a lot about, do you? That's right. It, it, it's, a, it's a very big deal, both for, with respect to individuals and families, and that's the extent to which, over time, human beings begin to think that life is a cheat. They've been cheated in one way or another. Life was supposed to be something else, um, better, richer, however to say it. And I don't think people quite understand that so much of the background coloration of so to speak, depression or sadness or existential despair, is this feeling of frustration around life itself. There's no particular crisis, no particular event. It's just the overall feeling that life is less than what it was supposed to be. And whole families can feel this, and they become frustrated families. They feel defeated. They feel hopeless. None of that language is ever used among themselves. No one is saying, I'm hopeless or I'm defeated. But that's the feeling tone of the family. And if you're growing up in that family, it's hard not to become sad without knowing why. It's hard not to believe that you have no chance without knowing why. Family members will be expressing how they don't believe they have a chance any longer, not in that language precisely. But between the lines, it's going to be clear to a child or a family member in that family that nobody thinks they can get what they want. Therefore, why should I believe that I can get what I want? Mm-hmm. So the key there for the individual is to have as his or her mantra, I can have it. I'm, I'm not buying this. I'm, I'm still giving, I think the simple way to say this, I'm still giving life a thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. I'm not turning my thumb down to life, even though people around me have, and I understand why, maybe minority situation or poverty or this, I understand why they've given life a thumbs down. I don't want to do that for myself. Eric, let me ask you a question here about our uh, level of tolerance. You know, when we fall outside our window of tolerance, um, and people are, are different when it comes to what they will and will not tolerate, their levels of boundaries and their awareness around this. But what I'm noticing just in general these days is people seem to have much thinner skin and uh, having a challenge tolerating most behaviors uh, or, or dynamics. We just don't want to deal with it. We, why is that? Why do you see that? And what can we do about differentiating that 
so we are not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? I think part of it is the speed at which things happen and all the um, inputs and, and sensory data going on around us, all the, the Facebooks and tweets and one thing and another, all the information. Something about the, the speed at which we move prevents us from, from being tolerant. I have an exercise somewhere, I'm not sure if it's in this book or another book, just the idea of tolerating a difficult thought for 10 seconds and how, and how hard it is to do that. And one of the reasons that we don't get clear in life is that we can't tolerate, not just the things you're talking about, tolerating other people or tolerating the line moving slowly or any of that, just tolerating a difficult thought is so hard for people. That's a great learning, just to learn how to tolerate a difficult thought. That's a beautiful point. We get back more when we return right here with Dr. Eric Mizell. Dealing with your difficult family? Well, you're in the right place. We're going to talk about some more tools and skills, and we return right after these messages. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've We've ordered ordered No More More Love Love Life Life Drama Drama for Us. MarianneLive.com is where you can go to keep up to date with what and where relationship expert, author, and radio host Marianne Camerata is appearing next. Besides Marianne's three radio shows weekdays on HealthyLife.net, you can find out details about upcoming or ongoing seminars and workshops. How about information for ordering copies of books or DVDs? That's also available at MarianneLive.com. Find out about core certification, certificate of responsible relationships, www.MarianneLive.com, core certification, learning tools to attract, build, and sustain great relationships. Also sign up for Marianne's newsletter to be informed about upcoming events and possible workshops or speaking engagements in the Northern California area www.marianlive.com. What does HealthyLife.net and Amazon.com have in common? Well, they're both available on the Internet. They both give great value. But most important, most of our positive program hosts and guests are accomplished authors. And their books are available from, you got it, Amazon.com. Now it even gets better than that. Because when you're listening on air to a HealthyLife.net host or guest, you can go directly to Amazon.com and you can order your book while you're still listening to your favorite HealthyLife.net program. So when you hear an author you like, go to the homepage of HealthyLife.net and click on Amazon.com. HealthyLife.net, the positive radio network. All right, everybody. Now we are here. Dr. Eric Mizell and I are back front and center for you, coming to the top of the hour. And we're going to talk about parents and children. This can be one of the most confounding, frustrating, difficult areas in a family dynamic ever. What are some tips uh, that you have for folks, Eric? Well, the first tip, or really the first announcement, is that parents today, and this is new, this is in the last decade, 
parents today are really pressured into thinking that their child has something, has something called a mental disorder, when if he's a boy, he's being a boy. If he's being restless in school or bored or saying no or the things that children always did, well, now those are, so to speak, symptoms of a mental disorder, so to speak, and parents are being tremendously pressured into believing this and putting their children, their child, on not just one medication typically, it's not a medication because there's no illness, one chemical, but multiple chemicals which have their own effects and their own very nasty effects. So headline number one is that parents have to really educate themselves as to whether they believe the medical model paradigm and that their child actually has anything called a mental disorder or not. Yeah, that's a major, major paradigm shift. Okay, it is. And, so and that's scary because you know you're it's, you're 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 moving outside of a social normative, right? And that's always a little sketchy. It, it's 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 that, and it's more than that. It's the pressure from the school primarily for the child for the for the classroom to be calm. That, but there there are states states in America where it is child neglect or abuse to not put your child on medication because because that's quote the standard of care so parents are really it's hard to it's hard to express how much pressure parents are put under nowadays to believe that their child has this mental disorder or that mental disorder so that's a big headline i think the second thing is to you know we we tend to tell children things as opposed to invite children to express what they think about things. Again, we're in a rush. We need them to, you know, get on the bus or get to school. We're kind of pushing them around just because of the time factor in life. So I think the second headline would be, if you're a parent, to try to get your child's cooperation in finding answers to the problems that arise. Problems are going to arise, whether it's tantrums or homework or we could name a million things that are never going to end till the end of time. It's always going to be there for children. Try to enlist your child in figuring out what to do. Now, you may not agree with your you know, child's opinion as to, as to what ought to happen, but maybe there's some place you can get to, some negotiation, so that your position and his or her position can both be honored somehow. That's going to do better than you trying to lay down the law. Absolutely. Having been a child and my own children... Uh, our youngest in particular has thanked us for that. Thanks for respecting and honoring my part in what was going on, you know. So um, you're the editor of Marin in America, or sorry, Matt in America's Parent Resources Guide. Um, it's a very heavily trafficked site. Say some more about that so folks can get more, parents can get some more information. Yeah, again, it's hard to say this quickly, but... There, there are two dominant paradigms as to what to do about mental distress. One is, is the medical model medicated, and the other is the psychotherapy expert talk model. But there is a whole universe out there called either critical psychology, critical psychiatry, or anti-psychiatry. It has three names. But it's a position that the current systems are flawed. And the biggest website in the world for information on this third position is called madinamerica.com created by a fellow named Robert Whitaker, who did a well-known book called Anatomy of an Epidemic about 
the over-medicating of people for so-called mental disorders. I provide resources there for parents. I just invite folks to come visit it. If you're, whether you're having um, whatever kind of trouble you may be having with your child, there'll be some resource, resources there that might be useful to you. Beautiful. Thank you for that. We're going to leave on this note, uh, or at least come to the top of the hour. The political climate is creating all kinds of dissension and stress within family dynamics. What are we going to do about that? Well, I'll, I'm going to come at it a little sideways, and that is um, I believe that we have no life purposes until we name them. So we make our life purpose choices. For me, it's almost like a menu of what's important to me, whether it's creating or relationships or service or activism, whatever it is. So each of us needs to make, I think, our life purpose menu, and then I think turn to it and, insofar as it makes sense to, ignore politics. That was a long-winded way of saying to have our meaning-making needs be more important than the latest news item. Yeah, I, just don't, I don't think it's serving us. When, when, it, when, when we want to put on our activist hat, then we put it on, and then we need to know what's going on, and then we're an activist. Yes. But on the other times of the day, we have other important things to attend to, and at those times, we don't want to be thinking about things we don't need to be thinking about. That's a beautiful reframe. Dr. Mizell, we are at the top of the hour. What do you want to leave us with today? Uh, I think it's the headline that I started with, and that is we all think, or most everybody thinks, that what's going on inside is individual, and we forget about context and circumstances, including our families, and we need to remember them because they're influential in our life. Mm. Uh, I know that you've uh, been spending a lot of time with your grandchildren these days, and uh, if you were going to give any grandparents some advice, because that's one area we didn't touch on, I'd love for you to speak to that here. Oh, they just grew up so fast. Go play with them when they're three months old and six months old and nine months old. They're just so much fun. Beautiful. Well, thank you for joining us again. We hope you come back. I know you're writing another book on parenting, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing how that turns out. Thank you. We're going to break right now, everybody. Thanks again to Dr. Eric Mizell. Go get your copy, Overcoming Your Difficult Family. It's available wherever fine books are sold or at ericmizell.com, M-A-I-S-E-L, and that's Eric with a C. All right, everybody, sit tight. We'll be right back. Everybody. I'm relationship expert and radio talk show host, Marianne Camarado. And I'm David Raynaud. We want to talk to you for a minute about the changing world of dating and relationships and how self-inquiry can help. Honey, did you know that 44% of the U.S. population is single and over 50% end in divorce? Yet, we spend an average of one-third of our lives trying to find a great relationship or get help with the ones we already have. Yep, that's exactly why we created the first ever of its kind, the Great Relationships Begin Within Self-Inquiry Divination Deck, because we know what it takes to attract and create a healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationship. And it's really simple. 
Sit quietly, close your eyes, turn your attention inward, and draw a card. You can go online right now and get a free reading on Marianne Live and try out the cards. And for under $20, what better way to give yourself a gift of your own attention? We wish you every blessing. We'll see you next time. Check out MarianneLive.com. To be a good father is the most important job in a man's life. But it doesn't have to be hard. Play catch. Go to a park or visit a zoo. Help your child with their homework. Sit down together for dinner. Ask them how their day was. Things get busy, and sometimes we all fall short. But the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at one eight seven seven for dad 411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Stuff, stuff, stuff. Where can I contain all of my stuff? Hmm, how about this? The Container Store, the original storage and organization store. And I found their link on the HealthyLife.net advertiser page. They have containers for everything, including the kitchen, the bathroom, trash and recycling, traveling, spring cleaning, and dorm rooms. Just about everything you can think of to contain your stuff. The Container Store, right on the HealthyLife.net advertiser page. HealthyLife.net, where positive overcomes negative. What a beautiful show. Thanks again to Dr. Mizell for being with us. He's helping us every step of the way. We're so grateful for him and his ongoing support. Hey, join us next week, same time, same place. Winifred Riley is going to be with us. She's written a book called It Takes One to Tango, How I Rescued My Marriage with Almost No Help from My Spouse and How You Can Too, right here on Marian Live. Last part of your practice invitation is to go do something for somebody else and don't let them know you did. I was just the recipient of that, but I happened to find out they were doing something nice for for me. My shout-out to you-know-who out there doing something nice for me, trying to get away with it. Love it. Love giving it. Love getting it. And love you guys. Blessings to all of you. Uh, two-leggeds, one-leggeds, no-leggeds, all of you sentient beings. Join us at Marion Live for more information and right here next time on Marion Live. See you then.